Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Morning, everybody who loves the sunshine. Yeah, me too. Awesome. Hey, if you're new here, uh, we're going through this series. We're in uh, week six of seven, and we're talking about and really actually lamenting the fact that we don't want another each other well. And we're reminding ourselves the importance of this and why we need to one another, one another. And so we've talked through many of these um, that Brian mentioned. And today we're talking about a very important and valuable, not, uh, it's not a suggestion. It's not an elective if you've been to college. This is, this is critical, but it's been done in a way that can be very harsh and painful. And so uh, I really want you to lean in as we talk about the need to admonish one another, okay? Um, let me take you back to the spring. Uh, last spring, I was in the hills of North Carolina at my mother-in-law's house, and we were driving to Kentucky where my daughter is in college. And so uh, I hopped into her Subaru. She had a two-year-old Subaru, and I didn't know it, but there's an, uh, something called Subaru EyeSight on her car. Do you know about this? This is Subaru EyeSight. There were two cameras that were on her rearview mirror looking out at the windshield, as Subaru calls it, an extra set of eyes driving me from North Carolina five hours to Kentucky. So I didn't know this. She didn't warn me. And, and we're driving and we're in the fast lane and someone in front of me is going 55. And I just pull up close to them. I didn't honk. I'm a Christian. But I just pull up close to them <laughs> and uh, let them know you're going slow. Well, Subaru EyeSight thought that's not safe. And so they hit the brakes for me and put distance between me and the car. Uh, and then another point, a couple hours later, we're driving and my daughter's in the back seat, asks a question and I turn and talk to them and start swaying and Subaru EyeSight says, that's not safe. And so alarms go off in the car. They admonish me, get back in your lane. Um, it's an amazing feature. As a matter of fact, I ripped a commercial uh, about it. Watch this for a minute and a half and look what you're all missing out on. Watch this. <laughs> To give our Subaru owners greater peace of mind and convenience for their daily drive, we developed our Subaru EyeSight Driver Assist technology, an important part of the reason Subaru has more 2014 IIHS top safety picks than any other brand. Like a second pair of eyes for the road ahead, EyeSight is a set of four technologies that warns you when there's potential danger and can even apply the brakes to help you avoid it. Lane departure and sway warning alerts the driver if the car starts to drift from its lane. As the car is in motion, EyeSight looks ahead, identifying lane markings on the road. Should the driver's attention slip on a long drive and the vehicle begin to leave its lane without signaling, beeps will sound and a warning will appear on the dash to alert the driver so they can steer the car to correct its course. Drifting back and forth in a lane, a sign the driver may be drowsy or distracted, will also trigger EyeSight to sound a lane sway warning. EyeSight will not steer the car for you, but it will afford you an extra level of awareness. How well does EyeSight work in the real world? When the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety tested front crash prevention, Subaru models with EyeSight got the highest possible score. Subaru EyeSight, an extra set of eyes every time you drive. By the time I made it to Kentucky, I thought, gosh, this is an amazing feature. Wouldn't it be great if I had life eyesight, if somehow Subaru eyesight could work in my life? 
Wouldn't it be great in the relationships that mattered most if I had something in my life that helped me understand when I get out of a lane that's going to cause destruction to alert me to get back in my lane? Or in my character, I I have a desire to really look like Jesus, and I fall short of that. Wouldn't it be amazing if I had eyesight, something in my life that said, you know what, that thought, that habit, those words, it's destructive. Get back in your lane. Wouldn't it be amazing? The good news is we've got that, my friends. And it's in this passage today what we need to do. And if you identify as a Christ follower, I want to tell you uh, this is not optional. Sadly, it's endangered in the Christian life because in the West, we view our Christian life as very private. Uh, And it's very personal, but it was never meant to be private. Now, if you don't identify as a follower of Christ, and I'm so glad that you're here, uh, this should be important to you just in life. I mean, this is why we have mentoring. This is why we read books. This is why we go to doctors, to have an extra set of eyes in our lives around what matters most. And chances are, if you're not a follower of Christ, at least the people I interact with, my friends who aren't, they point to followers of Christ that didn't value this, and their life and their words are completely separate. And they call that hypocrisy. And they say, it's those hypocrites. That's the reason why I choose not to identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. They, these people, whoever they are identifying, didn't have eyesight to course correct on the lane and get them in the intended goal and the intended end. So I want you to open up to Hebrews 3. I want everyone to grab a Bible or turn it on on version. Uh, if you have and need a pew Bible in the pew in front of you, page 1206 in the Bible, uh, I want you to grab your message notes because I really want to look at this and kind of do a little deep dive into this short passage and talk about the value of this. If I haven't convinced you, I will, I hope, in a minute. And then I want to talk about how to do it well because it's so important that we do this well. Uh, By the way, I just made a note, during Black History Month, uh, is this not what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. set to serve as our country, in our country during the civil rights, as an extra set of eyes for our country, to say to a whole nation, you've strayed uh, as a nation on the tenets you were founded, that all men and women have been created equal in the sight of God. And is this not what he served to do to course correct us and get us on track? This is really important, everybody, because we drift as human beings. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, you're gonna drift as a human being, but especially as we'll see, there's a unique drift for the follower of Jesus that God wants to prevent. And that's the whole reason for the book of Hebrews, by the way. The whole book was written to followers of Jesus who came to Christ out of Judaism and they were drifting, it got really hard because the culture they were living in was not um, encouraging their pursuit to be like Christ. And it got really hard, they were losing their jobs, their family was turning their backs on them. Much of what was happening to them is what's happening to followers of Jesus in the Middle East who come to Christ out of um, radical Islam especially where they're disowned and and hunted down and things like that. Uh, And so these, Hebrew Christians were ready to throw in the towel, and the whole book was written to them to say, don't do that. It's worth it, what you're going through. The whole book was to encourage and admonish them uh, to keep pursuing in their walk with God. I know for me, um, living here in the West, where we are to have a perspective as followers of Christ that goes beyond the grave, 
We're trying to do more as followers of Christ to love and serve our community and to live in a way that's significant for all eternity. Uh, that's not easy. It's really hard sometimes. And there's times I'm tempted to, to uh, throw in the towel. Uh, I need this passage. I need the people in my life that I've allowed in my life in obedience to this passage. Otherwise, I would never make it as a pastor, let alone a child of God, let alone the husband I want to be or the father I want to be or the neighbor I want to be. I drift. Am I the only drifter in here? I guess I am. Good. Ron drifts too. Great. Mary, you drift? Good. Okay, good. I'm not alone. So you heard it read, but listen, let's pick it up in verse uh, 12 of chapter 3. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Now remember, it's written to followers of Christ. This can happen for followers of Christ. We can drift and get cynical at our core. We can get crusty and hard-hearted at our core. And ultimately, in certain ways, we can turn away from the living God. God convicts us and we just stiff arm and go, I don't want that. I'd rather do my life my way. And in the metaphor of Subaru eyesight, we drift out of the lane. This author is saying, I don't want that for any of you. Can I have everyone's attention? Uh, I know Brian shares this with me. Katie would share this with me as your pastoral staff. We don't want this for any of you. We would do anything to keep you in the lane that God wants for you and to have you cross the finish line long after we're gone, running so we can say in heaven, look at you, look who you've become. We always knew you could be this. And look at you now. That's our heart, right? But the natural trajectory of life, if we don't course correct, is towards hardness, cynicism, a lack of belief. So what do we do? Writer of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so I'll just call him the writer of Hebrews. There's a theory a woman wrote Hebrews, so let's go with that, let's call it her. What do we do, ma'am? Look, next verse. Encourage one another. Now we'd mentioned this two weeks ago when I was with you last, but we had to insert the sermon on love because you heard how often we're to love one another and Carlos did an amazing job with that because apart from love, you'll never do this. Apart from love, this will really hurt. The word encourage here, because of context, doesn't mean rah-rah, we talked about that two weeks ago. It means admonish, exhort. You know what it means? Warn, warn. Warn one another, how often? Oh, can you go back? Daily, thanks. Can we get that up? There we go. Warn that as long as it's called today so that none of you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The book of Hebrews is saying you will never faithfully, you ready for this? You will never faithfully follow Jesus apart from one another. It's a bold claim. So I want to talk, turn to page two. I want to talk about why we need this and then how to do this, okay? That's a bold claim. I am telling you, uh, and I welcome your pushback, but you got to use the scriptures if you're a follower of Christ, okay? That's the, only, that's the only caveat. You will never be the version of you that Jesus had in mind when he hung on the cross in love for you apart from one another, apart from a close circle of friends who loves you and values you and has the courage to step into your life. I'll share stories, but there have been so many times in my life when someone has stepped and just stopped my progression and said, 
look, it's your life. It's your choice. But I'm just going to stop and say, I think you're making the worst choice in this area. I think you're going to cause destruction that you're going to regret for decades. I am so thankful for people like that. I, I wouldn't be your pastor without people like that. So let's look at this. Why do we need this, okay? Hebrews, uh, on page two, Hebrews three, here's why we need it. Jump down to verse seven. If you have your Bibles open, you can see that's where this segment of scripture, uh, the context of it, it starts in verse seven, okay? Hebrews three, chapter seven, you can see it in your notes there. It says this, um, today, if you hear his voice, there it is again today. It's a daily walk. Following Jesus isn't praying a prayer, leaving God behind, say, see you in heaven. That's not the design of the Christian life. It is to be a daily walk with him. So today, if you hear his voice, and the if there is, and you will, don't harden, there's that word again, your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing, where? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. Do you see that in your notes? Verse 8, the wilderness was a time, this, this author of Hebrews, she uh, is referring to a time of the, uh, in the Old Testament that these Hebrew Christians knew well of. There was a time, and most people know this story, thanks to, um, thanks to movies like uh, Prince of Egypt and other movies, um, where, where Israel was held captive as slaves in Egypt. And God uh, emancipated them and promised them a land, what we call Israel. And the distance between Egypt and Israel was filled with what's called the wilderness. The wilderness, it looks like that. It's an arid place. It's dry. You can't live in the wilderness very long. It's meant to walk through, not stay in. Jesus spent 40 days in that wilderness. It was brutal. And it was brutal for the Israelites. So for, for God, the distance, we learn in the Old Testament, the distance between Egypt, where they were slaves, and the promised land of Israel, uh, it was 11 days on the journey. An 11-day trek. Who can tell me how long they wandered in the desert? 40 years. In that this is what the author's referring to. Why did they trek for 40 years? God had given some, uh, to use our metaphor, divine eyesight, an extra set of eyes for Israel. His name was Moses. He had heard from God and said, do this, let's stay on track here. And they said, no, 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 Moses, we know better than you. We're gonna do it our way. And God said, okay, it's gonna be harder. And they kept saying, we want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. And pretty soon, an 11-day journey took 40 years. And because God was much more concerned with their hearts than he was the destination, just like he's much more concerned with my heart than he is the destination, God said to the original people that left Egypt, you know what, your heart's so hard, um, you won't make it to the destination. You didn't trust me. And a whole new generation entered in. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Life for the follower of Jesus is like a wilderness journey. It, it, there's just parts of it that don't feel like your home. It's arid. There's times that God doesn't show up the way you wanted him to. There's times when God doesn't answer your prayers. 
for these Egyptian Christ, uh, Jewish people that left Egypt, God was spectacular in Egypt. I'm reading through the Bible in a year. I, I'm in this portion of scripture. It's called Exodus. God was parting waters. God was sending plagues. He was, he was spectacular. And then in Israel, when they enter into the promised land, God is spectacular. Walls will fall down and amazing things will happen. But in the wilderness, they're thirsty. They're hungry, even though God provides food every day. All they see is that image of sand dunes and hills and mountains. Cloud by day, fire by night. Where's the spectacular God in the wilderness? The author of Hebrews is saying, your life as a follower of Jesus on planet Earth, for us on this peninsula, will seem like wilderness. And so you need someone to come into your life, to speak into your life and say, don't give up the journey. Don't quit going towards the promised land. Keep going. It's worth it. These sacrifices you're making are worth it. What you're holding out for the promise of God, it's worth it. What you're giving and how you're investing, it's worth it. Hold on to what God gave you in the wilderness. Do you see the context here? This is what the author is saying. This is why we need it, because apart from this, we'll believe our wilderness. We'll believe our context. We're prone to, especially in the West nowadays, here on the peninsula and really anywhere where we're bombarded with wilderness messages. In essence, says God's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. I remember a few years ago, I was um, invited to go to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I was invited to go there to a minister, speak at a, a pastor's conference. And there would be thousands of pastors that travel a week, two weeks to get to this conference on bike, on foot. They sleep at the side of the road. And I just say that to tell you, there was a lot on the line. These uh, great pastors, men and women, were sacrificing so much to come, and they were so hungry for the word. And, um, and I was invited to go give the word. I was told what I was to teach on was the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament book, four chapters long, and uh, speak about 10 times on the book of Jonah. So I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I was scared, but I'm like, I'll, I'll do this. this. I got this. I gave the series here uh, and then went on the plane and went with the team over to the Congo. The night before the conference started, um, I was in a village called Loco, which had all those villages, very little, no running water, no electricity, nothing. And, and uh, I'm having dinner with the host, and I say, hey, I can't wait to crack open Jonah. And at dinner the night before, the host says, Jonah? No, 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 we changed. You're speaking on John. John 15, remain in Christ. That's the theme, John 15. I was like, what? Were, were, were you going to tell me this? You know, and I'm like, 10 times? 10 times. Like, Jesus didn't even talk that much about <laughs> remaining in Christ. Anyway, so I went back to my room, and in my mosquito net, uh, sharing a room was the director of our community center, Anthony Mejia. And I'm like, I can't do this. What in the world? Why would they change on me? No way. I'm, I'm going to speak on Jonah, you know, no matter what. And um, Anthony admonished me. It was my wilderness experience. I said, Jeej, I'm going to tell you something. You're a control freak. 
He's like, maybe God did this to have you loose in control. You've got gifts. You know the word. Just crack open the word. God's a step ahead of you. Go for it. He admonished me. So the week goes by. It was really fun. We had a great time. And uh, the conference ends at a night. The next morning, I was due to get on a plane and travel to Germany where my daughter was studying. And so uh, I wake up that morning. I, I just can't. I'm so grateful for God coming through. And, and I go into the lobby, and Mosiah is there, the director of this conference. He's like, sit down. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, your plane was canceled. I'm like, what? He's like, you'll speak again this morning. <laughs> I was like, Messiah, I, I mean, all shame went out, like all pride left. I'm like, I have nothing left. I have nothing left. And he looks at me and says, God will give you something. Go to your room and work it out. And so I go to my room and I'm like, Anthony, do you believe it? And he says, you can do this and talk me off the ledge. He admonished me. And then I gave the talk and, and it was actually one of the most joy-filled experiences. The Holy Spirit broke out in amazing ways. Um, there's a video floating somewhere of me dancing with the Congolese that will never make it here. But, um, <laughs> but uh, we get on the plane, fly to Germany, we're in Munich. Now there's like 12 train tracks that we had to find our train. We did track eight to go to Friedrichshafen, which Friedrichshafen was Eastern Germany, not East Germany, but Eastern part. Uh, but there were three trains on track eight that we didn't know about. We were supposed to be on train one. We got on train three, okay? We were supposed to go east. Uh, we went west. And at 10 o'clock at night, we didn't know this, we go to the destination and the conductor's like, get out. And I'm like, are we in Friedrichshafen? He's like, Friedrichshafen? No. You're like three hours away from me. You're on the wrong train. And I'm like, ah. Oh. No, and I just like, I was in a foreign country. I didn't care at that point. I'm like, no, I'm throwing a fit on the train. And Anthony's like, Jeej, Jeej. He goes, calm down. He's like, he goes, I watch Amazing Race. I've got this. <laughs> See, at that point, he didn't say you've got what it takes. He said, you don't have what it takes. You're a wreck. I've got what it takes. I'll get us there. And sure enough, like at two in the morning, we do the right trains and taxis and other things. We show up in Friedrichshafen. Friends, that's admonishment. And that is a metaphor of what we need in the Christian life. There's times we need someone to give a perspective, a God perspective that says, in light of that, you've got what it takes. This isn't an accident. Now put your big boy or big girl pants on and go do what God's called you to do. Then there's times that we need people to step in our life and go, you know what? From my God perspective, you're a wreck. I don't say it to shame you, but get on my back. I'll get us to our design destination, your design destination, because I love you that much. That's why we need it, okay? I hope in the 23 minutes we've been conversing together that there's been a deep-seated conviction. I need this. And I'm going to ask you at the end of our time together, who are you allowing permission to do this in your life? Who have you given permission to do this in your life? Now, in light of that, our remainder of our time, let's talk about how to do it well. How do we do this well? Uh, let's talk about that. Let's go back to our passage. Let's pick it up in verse 13, and we're going to read verse 14. Look what it says. But encourage one another daily. Again, that word encourage means to admonish one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you would be hardened 
by sin's deceitfulness. Okay, none of us, God doesn't want for anybody to have a hard heart. I would tell you, all the pain in our culture has come about because of hard-heartedness. We've grown cold to the value of each other. Whether it's, you know, name, your, name the blight and the pressure in our culture. Whether it's racial, sexual, gender-related, we have all grown, uh, our culture has grown cold and hard to the value of each other. That's not God's design. If you're, again, if you're not a follower of Christ, I would just tell you, and I've said this in all of our services, this isn't the world God designed. This is the world we've broken because we've wandered. And Ash Wednesday, just as an aside, as a community, we're going to own that. We're not going to point to the big bad world. We're going to point to God and say, forgive us. And we're going to lament over our culture and the role we've played as followers of Christ in that. Please, please, please join us on Ash Wednesday. Look what it says in verse 14. Uh, We've come to share in Christ. Now suddenly there's a supernatural element brought in here. We've come to share in Christ. Do you know in Christ is the most uh, repetitive term that the Bible uses to, to call out Christians? We're called ones who are in Christ. It's used all over the place. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now quickly, how do we do it well? Here's the first. This should encourage everybody if you're a follower, especially if you're a follower of Christ. Prioritize Jesus' eyes. Here's what I mean by that. The claim of Jesus when he walked the earth is that uh, through his death and resurrection, that the kingdom of God, if we turn from ourselves to him, the kingdom of God would enter into us and we'd have a new operating system within us that would allow us the extra set of eyes to help us make wise choices. The Bible calls that conviction. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten is when someone told me, start your day as a follower of Christ, start your first waking moments talking and hanging out with Jesus. And I cannot tell you how this has just been so amazing in my life. I'm coming off of one of the worst weeks uh, I've had in a year, okay? Terrible week. And I'm not even going to go into all my little pity party details, but uh, it has been brutal uh, on a number of levels. Monday morning is always a very hard morning for pastors emotionally. They call it Blue Monday in my line of work because emotionally it's just a very hard, you're so emotionally giving out on Sundays, Monday is really hard. I got up last Monday morning and just crawled to a time where I could crack my Bible open and just tell Jesus, I don't even want to be here. I want to hang out with Pastor Pillow in my bed. You know, I want to just hang out. And, and here's, again, I'm reading through the Bible in a year. Here's what God gives me. Psalm 20. That's where I was in my Bible reading. Uh, I read in Old Testament, Exodus, Psalms, New Testament. In Psalm 20, verse 7, on Monday morning, I read this. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I'm like, oh. And, and again, that internal eyesight told me, you need this. I had no idea what was going to go on. You need this. I went from there to a dentist chair. I went from there to getting my laptop ripped off. I just told you I wasn't going to tell you all my sad story. But, um, but here's the kicker. Uh, the next day, um, uh, my, keep this between us, but my daughter's horse uh, had a really bad accident. She was getting ready for an event, a regional event. And that night, she was broken and just in despair. And as Ann and I are holding her, 
I'm saying some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah. The next day, Ann and I show up at a stable. I don't know what we're going to do with this. You might fire me for this, but we believe we could pray over a horse. So we lay hands on Junebug, and I'm saying, in the rain, by the way, that's commitment, right? Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, in all those things, like my laptop getting ripped off, this, 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 I'm tempted in the wilderness to go, really, God? This is the thanks I get? Like, shouldn't I get a break, you know? But God said, here's your lane. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. You trust in the name of the Lord your God. And that has carried me through the week, those internal set of eyes. But then, my friends, look at the second point, and we're going to land the plane here. We need to invite one another's eyes. We need to invite another set of eyes into our lives. That is not to be um, rare, it's to be the norm. You know what that means? I have people that I should invite into my life to talk through aspects of my life that matter most. Here's how it works around here. Uh, I and a, a group of us pastors, you know, we have tons of doors and locks all over here. Um, and depending on what you do around here, your key will only get you into so many doors. There's staff that don't have the door to the sanctuary. There's staff that don't have the door to different offices. But a group of us have what's called the general master key. Oh, my friends, that's powerful. <laughs> now, I can get into any door on this campus with a general master key. I can get in the finance office, I can get into my office, I can get into Brian's office. I, uh, and he's got a key I can get into my office too, but I can go anywhere, right? It dawns on me that when we're talking about this, what I tend to do is give my circle the key to my exterior doors. And say, well, you can come in here because that's safe, but don't come into here. Don't ask me about those things because I don't want you knowing about those things. What this scripture is inviting is this. Give Jesus that general master key. His end goal is to make you the best version of yourself that you could ever be and to give you relationships that matter for all eternity and then have a close circle of friends that you give that master key that can open the door when you're thinking wrong or doing stupid stuff and say, I'm not here to judge, but I am here to admonish and to say, I think you're going down the wrong track. It's your life. The Subaru commercial, I'm not going to steer your car. You're responsible for that, but I'm just serving as an extra set of eyes to have you consider. I think you're going and headed for a wreck. Oh, my friends, I can't tell you where I'd be without that. And I want that for you. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this. I mean it. Thank you, Jesus, that you're this for us, that you would step into our mess and our pain and be our extra set of eyes. And God, you know with the trajectory of my life, I've gone from hard-heartedness to soft-heartedness. I pray for the hearts of people in this room that we would be soft-hearted. Start with me. Chip away at the crust and hard-heartedness. Show us where we've gone outside the lane. We want to honor you. And then, Lord, forgive us for trying to do this alone and making it about us. 
forgive us for the way we've stiff-armed you as your followers and others who've tried to step in and save us from a train wreck. No more of that. Put in our minds right now, Holy Spirit, right now, people that we should give an all-access pass, general master key, speak to our lives, our relationships that matter, our character, our habits. Help us to trust them and trust you. We love you. We thank you. Can't wait to see you face to face. Until then, use us to make this world a better, just, more caring, compassionate world. The world you had in mind when you created it before sin wreaked havoc. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.